Blog Talk Radio. She was. I wasn't about to make her talk chickens uh, for an hour of you and like she did. 
And then uh, the last time we were going to try to do this topic, uh, she got tied up with work. It was a crazy day for her. It just slipped her mind. She was so focused and stressed with things that were going on at her university and uh, just, just blew her mind and didn't even think about it. So today we are uh, pretty much guaranteed I would put money on it that Dr. McCray will be calling in here uh, shortly. And uh, we'll be uh, talking about bantam breeds here in just a uh, few minutes. So I want to go over here to my Facebook page and post one thing really quick um, to see if uh, anybody would like to call in and share their opinion on this uh, Rent a Chick program. I've got a good bit of information to share with you so we don't, you know, uh, repeat ourselves and the call-ins and things like probably a little bit of that. But I'm um, just going to let you know how this all started, uh, what we've done. We've made contact, talking with him, making suggestions. Really, uh, I think a great was welcomed open arms regarding some changes that need to be made and maybe even some big changes for next year if they do it again. So I'm just, if you'll give me just a second, I'm going to post on our Facebook page for people who want to call in, uh, and they can uh, call in here. You would like to call in live to chat about the rent a chick program. Do so now. Three and of course if you're listening and like to call in, three four seven six three seven. 3237-347-637-3237. There, let me publish that. Make sure that took. And depending on Facebook's algorithms today, either nine people will see that or 900,000 will see that. <laughs> uh, the Facebook algorithms sometimes drive you nuts. So it's funny. I'll post something like uh, women's shoes with a chicken leg on them, and it'll be shared a gazillion times, and millions of people will see it. If I post something educational about, say, salmonella, even influenza, um, uh, coccidiosis, you know, you know, hey, it's, it's, I guess it is what it is. Uh, if you'd like to call in live to chat about the Renichick program, do so now, 347-637-3237, and we'll see how many people partake in that. We may have some callers. Uh, we may not. If you're uh, listening live and would like to chat, uh, make sure you press 1 on your dial, and that will let me know that you'd like to chime in on this uh, topic. But uh, So let me tell you kind of how all this got started um, yesterday. In fact, I'll scroll down a little bit on our Facebook page because if you're following us on Facebook, you know all about this. Yesterday morning, uh, someone had emailed me. I also saw it posted on, uh, I think it was a Facebook chicken page uh, forum, I guess if you could call it, uh, about this farm that was doing a rent a chick, rent a chick program for Easter. And uh, it even got uh, news media coverage. They were at and went into the studio at a local uh, news television news show, uh, Your Carolina, I believe it was called, and uh, took some baby chicks into there and were talking about this program and what they offer and the whole nine yards. Well, um, I had posted a few things over on their page about, you know, uh, that that. Uh, Mimi that I created several years back about a uh, picture of a, a baby chick. I am a baby chick, not an Easter basket surprise. You know, I'm not a play toy and several, you know, at least 12 requirements that, that people need to realize that they you know, need to be in a forever home up to a decade of life with these baby chicks. 
They're not just a photo opportunity, blah, blah, blah. So, um, and then some links over to the CDC page where they talk about the salmonella, how to protect from salmonella, the risks of salmonella from the baby chicks, and the numerous outbreaks of salmonella um, that we've had over the last decade due to mail-order hatcheries and the baby chicks. We even interviewed last year a family where their uh, 14-year-old son literally almost died. I mean, we're talking they were planning the funeral while he was an ICU type of close to death um, until they figured out exactly what it was, got him on the right antibiotics, and, and now, thank the Lord, he's still alive and with us uh, in his situation. And that was directly related to salmonella chicks that were bought from a mail order hatchery. This was two years ago. Their story was uh, fascinating um, because it was not the typical uh, signs and symptoms of salmonella through salmonella poisoning. Uh, it was um, with the stomach cramps and the diarrhea and, and, and all that. They suspect that it was entered into this young man's body through a cut. Uh, so salmonella, you know, salmonella is in the poop. Poop gets over everything, the tools, the coop, the floor, the, the roost, everywhere, the chicken's feet. They can attach to dust and fly through dust and land elsewhere. Anyway, they, they, they um, are uh, as certain as they can be that the child got this through a cut or a wound, not by putting hands in the mouth, which we're concerned with with children under five. That's the issue. Oh, but they can be supervised by the parents with these baby chick. Okay? Have you, do you have kids? Do you have a lot of kids? Have you ever been a teacher uh, under five? I don't care how many times you say, don't put change your mouth, don't put change your mouth. Oh, all of a sudden, their hands itch or they put their hands in their mouth. Before you can say stop, their hands are in their mouth. So so that's, that, that paints a nice picture. Oh, supervision with the parents. Yeah, paints a nice picture. So so anyway, uh, posted some of those things over there on, on their site, and then they reached out to me, and uh, which was great. Caroline is a very, very nice young lady. Uh, she has her hands full this week with the big uh, Easter egg hunt and everything else that's going on at their farm. And like a lot of things, I think they started this with great expectations and good intentions. Um, they did happen to say that they just thought about doing this a couple of weeks ago, so there wasn't a whole lot of planning ahead of time. And so hopefully next year they will be uh, more prepared. And we'll talk about that and what we talked about regarding that here uh, right now. Um, so um, so that was very interesting. So they claim that there's another farm in Charleston, South Carolina, that's been doing this for about eight years now and have had success with it, whatever that, however they define success. Um, so, so we talked today, and, and there were a lot of comments on our Facebook page from, hey, this is a great idea. It beats them going to buy these chicks at, at the local feed and seed store and then, you know, three weeks later deciding it's not for them and then just dumping them off at the, at the um, uh, shelter or out in the open or let, oh, I'll just let the ducks go at the local pond or the city pond or whatever. Um, so, so there's some people were talking about that. There, I really had to wear three hats here when I was talking to the farm. I had to wear my animal welfare hat to make sure that the chicks needed everything they needed, all the things that need to be incorporated in a brooder to have to thrive and have a healthy life. I had to wear my CDC hat working with them uh, about the salmonella risks uh, for those high-risk people under five elderly people with weakened immune systems and go down that road with them. And then I had to wear my USDA spokesperson hat uh, and talk about biosecurity. What's going to happen when all these, you know, 40 birds come back to your farm? Uh, what, what, do you have any plans? 
And I started there first talking with this young lady after realizing that, you know, hey, we just we just decided to do this two weeks ago. My sister printed up a little information uh, sheet to hand out to everybody, and I'll get into what they're giving them and why we needed to make some changes there um, to let you know. So um, that that was it. And so I started talking with them at first because it was a little easier, a little bit faster, a little bit more straightforward about biosecurity. Now, I think they're doing 25 of these kits, two two little baby chicks each, which is 50 birds. Now, in two weeks, when these 50 birds come back to your farm from 50 different locations, um, what what are your biosecurity measures? And um, there really weren't any. And so we talked about that. Uh, as soon, you know, over that two- or three-day period when the birds come back, once the last baby chicks are returned, that's your start date, keeping them quarantined for at least 30 days before incorporating them into their existing flocks or the existing farm and out in the backyard, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, taking care of your existing birds first and then going and taking care of this, those second. And, and hand sanitizer, not sharing tools and looking for signs and symptoms of illness, mites and lice and sniffing and sneezing and drainage from the nose and the nostrils, uh, the, the mouth, the eyes, swollen eyes, all that stuff. So, so that didn't take a whole lot of time to explain the biosecurity part of this when all these 50 chicks start coming back to their farm. So we started there talking with them, and, and I think they, they understand that, and they will implement that quarantine program when all these 50 birds from 25 different locations uh, come back to their farm. So we, we covered that, and I started there because it wasn't quite as detailed. And then, and then we started down this next road, and she you, you could hear from her, her talking and, and everything. She you know, And I told her, I said, you know, what, what seemed like a good idea uh, with good intentions. Now, uh, you'll see in our conversation opened up lots of different cans of worms. So then we went to um, the um, salmonella portion of it. I put my CDC hat on. And we talked about the past outbreaks. We talked about the CDC recommendations of no children under five, elderly, or people with an immune system handling live poultry, especially baby chicks, and why. Uh, the numbers, the outbreaks, the numbers, the hospitalizations, um, uh, you know, signs and symptoms, all of this, um, and, and do they want to be responsible for the possible liability of somebody getting sick um, with that is something they have to look at, whether, whether it be small uh, chance or not. They've got to look at that liability issue if someone happens to get sick. Um, so we talked about all of that, and then, and then pamphlets that I will be sending them later today, just two pages, that's it. If it's a booklet, they're not going to read it, they're going to throw it in the trash. Two simple pages, one about biosecurity, one about, um, really, if you want to call it biosecurity for the family, protection of the family, salmonella, uh, how to handle the baby chicks, that type of thing. So we went down that road. Uh, none of that uh, apparently was being done uh, regarding any kind of salmonella information, you know, maybe just to wash your hands after handling type of thing, but it wasn't very in-depth, didn't really express, express the possible risks and the steps and who shouldn't be. Uh, and I told them straight up, I said, look, um, it is not my duty, it is not my position, I'm not at the liberty to, to recommend you not do this program. That's not who I am. Uh, but I can recommend some things and, and, and maybe help you reduce risk based on CDC guidelines, USDA, biosecurity, things like that. I said, if I, at a minimum, if, you know, liability and, and, and really following guidelines. Uh, it may not uh, fall on happy years, but um, at a minimum, if you want to abide by these recommendations from CDC and with your program, these 25 kits, uh, have your guidelines for these folks that are interested in that. No children under five, 
not the elderly or people with weakened immune systems, which you may have to ask them if they have a you know, history of that. Cancer treatments, um, you know, a weakened immune system, radiation therapy, chemo, uh, some type of maybe a autoimmune, I guess, disorder, anything like that that, that makes them susceptible to more illness or would make an illness if they got it hard to fight off, hard to defend against, or make the illness signs and symptoms if they got it even worse and maybe deadly. So maybe start there um, and then give them these pamphlets about what they need to do to protect themselves from, you know, the salmonella risk and things like that. So I had to put my CDC hat on. And then finally we got around to, okay, I walk up to your farm on Saturday and I say, hey, I want to do this. Let me sign up What what's involved. And it literally, uh, I, I will tell you, quite surprised me. Because uh, we know what two little baby chicks, most of us know what they require. We know the requirements of, of of a brooder. They literally were going to give these people a cardboard box um, that's about six inches by 12 inches maybe, six by 12, six by 15, six inches by 15 inches, somewhere in that area. She wasn't exactly sure. Uh, but six inches by 15 inches rectangle with a lid that kind of closes with holes in it kind of like a, maybe a little small cardboard pet carrier. Um, they were going to give them that and two baby chicks and an information sheet and say, thank you very much, goodbye. That 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 was it at that point. Um, and so now you can kind of see where our concerns are based on the uh, where f- welfare of the animal hat comes into play. you got two little baby chicks, a cardboard box, and... Uh, 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 an information sheet that that is it, and so that's all they were getting for twenty seven ninety five for the two week period. So I immediately walked into explaining the box, six inches by fifteen inches rectangle with a top that closes with holes in it so they can breathe. And I'm like, okay, let's start off with everything that needs to be incorporated in a brooder. First, foremost, my biggest pet peeve. Let's talk about the heat source. Well. Uh, in, in the brochure, it talks about that they have to stop by a farm store, tractor supply, tra- tractor supply, local farm store, wherever, um, and uh, get a heat source, a heat lamp, heat bulb. So now on top of the $28 that they're paying for, for these two weeks to have these baby chicks, now they have to stop by tractor supply and get a heat lamp for, you know, say 10 bucks, and then a bulb that goes in it will just say on the low side 250 So now they're looking at 12 to $15 for a heat source for these two baby chicks in this cardboard little shoebox. Um, so we went down and, and explained to them about the fire hazard. I said, do you really think that these people are going to stop by tractor supply on the way home from – are they – you know, you can hear them now. Some of them are going to say, oh, they'll be fine. They'll be inside. They'll be in the living room. They'll be in the kitchen. It'll be warm enough in there for them. Um, I don't, we don't need a heat source. Um, so I think in the pamphlet it said they say stop by a, a farm store and buy a heat lamp with a heat you know, heat bulb on it or go to CVS Pharmacy and buy a heating pad and plug it in the wall and then set this box on top of the heating pad and there's the heat for the baby chicks. So, again, good intentions. Now we've opened all these can of worms. Um, so now you have this little cardboard box at 6 by 12. You have this huge heat lamp with a heat bulb in it. Where are you going to mount it? You can't mount it on the cardboard box. It's too frail. It won't mount to it. So now you've got all these 25 people trying to figure out how to uh, rig this. So they're going to mount it and clamp it to the back of a folding chair over this little box of two baby chicks. Um, so, so that was a, a can of worms in itself, dealing with this heat source that they're not even providing. You have to do that on your own. So my issue was how many people are going to actually stop and take that step and do that. And then once they get home, they can't connect it to this little cardboard box. How are they going to rig it up? You know, we always recommend clamp it, duct tape it, clamp it again, and then use S-hooks and, 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 and chain to, to, to connect it. You know, all these 
fail safes. If one fails, you have another one in place. And so now that was a can of worms. So so I, I'll move on uh, for the sake of time. Um, then we talked about, well, when they get seven days and older, they're going to try to start hopping out of this box. And they're like, oh, well, the box closes at the top. It's got these little slits and, and little uh, nipples, and you just kind of close the box. It's got holes where they can breathe. But then now that defeats the purpose of the heat source because the box is closed, even if you you know have this lamp on top of this closed cardboard box. So that opened another can of worms. They're like, ah, makes a good point. Then we talked about bedding. What kind of bedding are you giving these people? No bedding. Literally a cardboard box with two baby chicks um, and an information sheet. So an information sheet apparently says just uh, put some newspaper down in the bottom of this and there you go. So you know where I'm going with this. You know, there's been – I don't think anybody recommends newspaper for the bottom of a brooder. It's going to get wet. It's going to get nasty. It's going to stink. We also know that it can be too slick for the baby chicks. It can create spraddle leg, which we don't want. So how many of these chicks are going to come back with spraddle leg because they're using newspaper that's not absorbent that, you know, may increase the chance of coccidiosis because you're not using bedding that is absorbent? How much is it going to really get cleaned out? We know how much they're going to poop. We know how much water they're going to spread all in this cardboard box with the newspaper bedding and have spraddle leg and maybe a higher risk of coccidiosis now because you're not using an absorbent bedding. Whew, yeah, a big can of worms, right? Good intentions, we've heard that many times. So, again, just politely working with this young lady. Say, maybe they go out and buy two of these big bales of pine shavings from the feed store. They're about five bucks. And they buy one gallons of bags and fill them full of pine shavings and, and offer them so about twice a week. You know, two little baby chicks, six by 15, we'll just say twice a week they change that bedding. You're looking at two little baby chicks at a minimum. Okay, so so now they're looking at, okay, one gallon bags. Now I got it. So they, they were literally saying just put some newspaper down for the two-week period for these baby chicks. So we think we'd Maybe you've talked them into getting a couple of things of pine shavings, the one gallon, one or two, one gallon Ziploc bags full of these shavings so they can change out the bedding appropriately to, again, try to uh, have a cleaner brooder, maybe prevent some of those coccidiosis issues, um, and then the nastiness of the newspaper and the spraddle leg and, and what. So, so that was okay. Then we talked about the water. So what kind of water and feeder are you providing these folks? Nothing. Uh, again, in that information sheet that they get, it talks about using a little saucer or some type of little dish for the water and the food. Now, I'm not totally uh, – well, let's talk about this, the food. You know, she said, I got the, the lid of a peanut butter jar. You know, turn it upside down, and you've got a little dish there, and you can put feed in that. Okay, fine. They'll scatter it everywhere. They'll walk in it. They'll poop in it. But even regular chicken feeders, they can poop in and walk in. I get that. But but that's the lesser of two evils is having somebody around the house now try to find some type of mason jar lid or something that they can put in there to put the food in. Next, um, they they wanted to do the same thing with the water. I'll just get a saucer and put some water in it. So we had to go down that road with them about, and you know where I'm going with this, uh, now the baby chicks are going to be walking in the saucer, laying down in the saucer. They'll be getting their fluff wet in the saucer, which means now they're going to get cold because they probably don't even have a heat lamp if they even decided to stop and buy one. And then setting this cardboard box on a human heat pad for your aches and pains that you bought at CBS probably isn't going to be uh, enough heat now that you have a wet chicken, a wet baby chick that walked through the saucer of water or fell in the saucer of water or decided to fall asleep in the saucer of water. Um, or the peanut butter lid turned upside down with water in it and falls in it, falls on its back, can't get up, drowns, um, and but, but it gets wet, gets cold, and there's no heat lamp or no heat source, and so now we've opened up another can, can of worms regarding the water and the feeder. Um, 
And so you see where I'm going with this. So so just good intentions end up just, again, their words, we, we just thought about doing this two weeks ago. And then they just kind of put this together, thinking, oh, this is simple. So I'm so glad they reached out to me. I'm so glad I got to talk to them. And it was not my place nor my position to tell them that I would recommend not doing this at all. I wasn't going to go down that road. CDC can go down that road um, if they contact and reach out to them um, or the USDA can. Uh, I said, you know, that's not my position. I would at least like to see you at a minimum recommendation abide by the CDC recommendations of no one under five, elderly, you know, that type of thing. Went through the Samuel risk, handing out these two two pieces of paper. And then at the end of the day, when you're handing them this kit, stress a couple of things. Read this page, read this page, <laughs> and then please, whatever heat source you choose for your two weeks, Please do whatever you can to reduce the fire hazards so your house doesn't burn down. So, so uh, see what I'm going. So, all these folks that initially were posting on the Facebook page yesterday, ah, oh, this is a lot better than them buying some chicks at the store and bringing them home, and then three weeks later deciding that's not for them, and then just throwing them out or taking them to the. You know, I, I get that. You know, I get that for this program, people who might be. But see, there's, there's a whole lot more than that. You've got to dig deeper. On the surface, and I posted this yesterday on my Facebook page, on the surface, this may look good. This may even sound good on the surface, but let's dig a little deeper. Let's get two pieces of paper, write down the pros, write down the cons. Now we know more information about what these people were getting when they signed up for this for $27.95, a cardboard box with two baby chicks in it, and a sheet of paper explaining what to do. That was it. Um, and let's let's put let, let's see who fills up their page first. The pros are the cons, and, we, and on the cons we need to talk about if they're willing to take the liability. We need to talk about salmonella. We need to talk about animal welfare and the and the treatment of these chicks. We need to talk about biosecurity when the chicks come back. We need to talk about the water and the feeder that they're not getting, the heat source they're not getting, and all of this. I guarantee you, we will fill up that page of cons a lot faster than we'll fill up that page of pros. And we're talking about live animals that depend on you. Bottom line, Dr. McRae, we're going to bring her live here in just a second, get her two cents worth on this, but she said oftentimes, you know, maybe if you can't do it right, if you can't spend the money to do it right, don't do it at all. And that really rubs a lot of people raw. I'm telling you right now, it really does when you say, you know, and I've started posting a lot of times, it costs money to raise poultry correctly, to raise backyard chickens correctly. It takes money. And if you're not willing to do the research ahead of time and spend the money required to have that predator-proof coop, to bury that fence two feet deep for your run, to actually have a roof on your run, to, then then you're going to have problems. You're going to have those predator attacks, and there are already too many of those posted on Facebook as it is, but you're going to have all these issues. And it'll probably cost you more in the long run anyway. So it, just like with this, once we – it's more than just, you know, oh, this is a great idea because it'll solve this problem, dig deeper scratch under the surface, and now I've tried to do that by contacting them and explaining to you guys about what's under the surface. They were literally getting a cardboard box, 6 by 15 with two baby chicks in it and a sheet of paper telling them what to do. How many of them are going to stop by and get a $15 heat lamp for these baby chicks? How many are going to say, oh, they'll be fine. It'll have them in the living room. It'll be warm enough because they don't know. If they do get the lamp, how are they going to clamp it? They can't clamp it to the box, and so now they have to take time to figure out where to clamp it, how to clamp it, what are they going to clamp it on? The water, the feeder, the I'm not going down that road again. So, so it was now you have more information about that and uh, can can see how when I saw this, I'm like, oh. again, Catherine at the farm was very open to suggestions, was open to implementing suggestions. Um, 
by no means did I say I don't recommend doing this at all. It's not my place. I think they will continue to do this. They will implement some of our changes and suggestions, uh, and maybe next year they'll start sooner and, and, and get an approved waterer and get an approved feeder and get maybe a different type of container other than a cardboard box. Maybe provide heat lamps and then raise the price to forty nine ninety five if people want to do this, uh, but do it right, which, again, we just said to do it right, it's going to cost some money uh, and get the right information to the people who are doing this so they know the risks and then can choose to do it or not. And if they choose to do it, know what they need to do. Um, you know, the hand sanitizer, washing the hands before and after they handle the chicks um, and the whole nine yards. And no children under five can participate in the program uh, elderly. So uh, let's bring Dr. McCray on. She's a biosecurity wizard and uh, expert. And um, she uh, would like to get her to weigh in. Also, if you'd like to weigh in and give us your two cents worth, love you free to call in. 347-637-3237. If you've called in and you're listening and want us to talk or give us your two cents worth, press one, and uh, we'll be able to bring you on the air and you can talk about your, your views. So it really, I had to wear three hats. One was the animal welfare uh, issue hat about the, the, the care for the, the two baby chicks. The CDC hat about the welfare of the kids, and they'll be kids, handling the, the baby chicks. And then the USD hat based on biosecurity once these 50 chicks come back to their farm. So let's go to the phone lines now. Uh, you know what? Give me a break. Hang on just a second. got to take a commercial break. If I don't, then uh, I, I, I'll be in trouble. So uh, before I bring, uh, now this will give time for Dr. McCray to give her, get her, her spiel ready. But let's go to commercial break. When we come back, I'll bring on Dr. McCray. We'll talk about this uh, rent-a-chick issue. And then, uh, and then we'll get on to uh, the banner breeds that we're going to talk about today. So stay with us. Uh, we'll be back right after a short break with Dr. Bridget McRae. When you need an incubator, think Brincy, the incubation specialists. Brincy has been a world-leading manufacturer of quality incubators for almost 40 years. They manufacture incubators that hold anywhere from 7 to 380 eggs with high-quality electronic and digital controls, including precise humidity controls and programmable egg turning, all at surprisingly affordable prices. Enter the coupon code WHISPER at checkout and receive 10% off your entire order. Order your new incubator today at Brincy.com. That's B-R-I-N-S-E-A.com. Cackle Hatchery is a third-generation, family-owned and operated hatchery. They offer over 193 varieties of poultry shipped directly from their facility in Missouri. It's their mission to enhance your life by providing you with quality poultry for showing, meat, enjoyment, eggs, and pets. They specialize in hatching purebred poultry and shipping day-old chicks right to your local post office since 1936. 4-H and FFA Youth Poultry Clubs get a 10% discount. Check out their website, CackleHatchery.com, for posted weekly specials and discounts. That's CackleHatchery.com. Give the full a day directly into their water is all it takes for a stronger immune system. 
Introducing ePoultry, an all-natural, whey-based soluble that will help improve your flock's overall health. Made by farmers for farmers right here in the USA. ePoultry is a safe, all-natural way to give your birds the strong immune system they deserve. Learn more and purchase at www.eanimalproducts.com. That's www.eanimalproducts.com. Ware Manufacturing has been building quality hutches since 1983. Ware manufactures modern chicken hutches, barns, pens, and nest boxes designed especially for the backyard flock. Ware offers hutches and pens for every yard size and every chicken keeper's budget. Visit their website at waremfginc.com. That's W-A-R-E-M-F-G-I-N-C.com. Or call them to find a retailer near you at 1-888-824-7257. Ware Manufacturing. Ideal Poultry has been a family-owned and operated business since 1937. Their business is built on customer service and quality poultry. From rare white and brown egg layers to broilers, ducks, turkeys, and bantams, Ideal Poultry is the largest supplier of backyard poultry in the United States, shipping close to 5 million chicks annually. Visit them online at IdealPoultry.com. That's IdealPoultry.com. Hi, I'm country music artist Nathan Osmond, and you're listening to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. And the mighty bird against prejudice continues his fight for law and order. So when you hear that cry in the sky... You'll know it's Super Chicken. All right, thanks for staying with us today. One thing I want to say right now, because I'll forget later, <laughs> totally kind of off topic but related to yesterday, um, there were rumors going around, and there were actually posts being posted on Facebook in some of the chicken forums uh, that Ideal Poultry out of Cameron, Texas, was uh, shipping dyed baby chicks to uh, feed stores across the country, and this is chicken poop. It is not true. Uh, They were the first sponsor we ever had here on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer nine years ago. That's how long they've been with me. I've toured uh, their hatchery. Uh, Awesome folks. I reached out to them saying, in fact, my note said, please, please, please tell me you're not doing this. I didn't think you all were. I think we've had this conversation before. And no, they are not. And they have not done that in many, many, many years. In fact, in many states around the country, it is illegal now to even do that or sell that based on the enticement of the, oh, look, baby chicks for Easter type of mentality. So, uh, no, uh, if you ever see that online, I would ask you, if you to do me a favor. That if you oh, ideal poultry, they are not doing that. I can talk to the owner yesterday. They haven't done that in years and years and years. Uh, so I don't know where that got started, um, but there were uh, at least uh, two posts and, and maybe more. They said they saw other places. Uh, then it was tied back to ideal, but it's not the case. If you see that, say, this is not true. This is chicken poop. They are not. Uh, call them asking yourself, but they are not doing that. So I wanted to make sure and, for the record, get that out there. Okay, let's bring uh, Dr. McRae on the line, and uh, we're talking about the Rent a Chick program. Uh, two weeks, cardboard box, two baby chicks. Here's a pamphlet. Go for it. See you later in two weeks. Um, what say you, Dr. McRae? Hi. 
Well, this has been interesting because I, I missed the very start of this, and I didn't know where that was taking place, but Love for Poultry sent me straight in the chat room, and it's happening in South Carolina because I went online to Google and typed in Rent-A-Chick, and there's actually something similar to this going on in Pennsylvania. And, you know, one of the first things I thought about is this is a great way to sample um, the environments in which chicks are raised for a short period of time. You can think of these birds as sentinel animals. They are picking up stuff in people's home environments, integrating it into their immune systems, and once those chicks come back to the original farm, if you did a swab of their throat or their vent or even a blood sample may be more valuable, that is basically the historical record of what those birds were exposed to in the amount of time that they were, in the short amount of time they were on on people's um, houses and farms and whatever. And wouldn't that be just a great way to see what chicks are exposed to just in the short two-week two period of time? <laughs> You know, that's my my inner scientist screaming, hey, wow, they just put together a really um, interesting sampling system, and wouldn't it be great to find out what these chicks were exposed to in that short period of time? Yeah. Well, your your willingness to to share with all three hats that you put on with this person is great, and it sounds like they're very open to change, which we – we do hope then when we talk to people that they are willing to integrate information, science-based information, into what they do with their chicken flocks. So, um, yeah, I would say uh, if if they if the person in South Carolina weren't retired, I'd say get Mickey Hall on the line and see if she can do a whole bunch of blood draws or swabs and you know just just kind of a cross section, a one time you know, deal, let's see what these chicks were exposed to and uh, microbiologically or even, um, you know, other things. Uh, and then, you know, looking at it from a surveyor's point of view, yes, they're going to be um, giving um, these folks an opportunity to pick up different things to supply their chicks with, Um if they choose to go the original route rather than integrating some of the changes that you suggested and and I would see I would I would be curious to see what people foregoed you know they're like oh well we didn't pick up any extra feed or we didn't pick up an, a light bulb or we chose not to invest in more shavings because it was just too big see what they foregoed and why mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of typing up a quick little survey, giving it to them when they turn the chicks back in, and really getting their thoughts and opinions not only on the process, but um, the investment of time and the investment of money and what they thought of that. Um, you know, did they, once they got their chicks, did they choose to go online and look at books or? 4-H clubs, or what did they check out online? What changes did these chicks bring about and what they they did? Though That's just me being the naturally curious scientist that I am. And if, if, um, 
if the farmers want me to type something up, you know, just a few questions, I will happily do that for them. But I just think it'd be, um, you know, a, a good I good opportunity to to figure out what people were thinking about the process and what they learned and what they liked and didn't like about it. So mm-hmm. yeah, um, and, and it, it does, was and, it? Did and, you think? Go ahead, Andy. Yeah, you know, was would would did, did this experience turn you away to keeping chickens in the future? Did it encourage you to keep chickens in the future? Um, would be would be a good one as well. Yeah, if we had more time, you know, I could get them copies of Chicken Whisper magazine. We could get them free handouts from I'm yeah sure, uh, the agency. Oh wow! Things, but yeah, they, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, but they literally just like two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, they were like, hey, let's do this. And then all of a sudden, it was like, bam, put it together. And, and now we can see some of the shortcomings that, that are involved, uh, that are being done. And so, yeah, I'm so glad to talk to them. We'll, well see what they can implement this we'll year. We'll talk and then after what the they... show, Andy. And, and there may be a way for me to be of assistance to them in, in addition to yourself um, that is not obtrusive. But, you know, I'm mm-hmm. sure by by the end of the whole thing, they're going to want feedback on what they could change and do better from those who participated and you know that's what we do in extension we're constantly asking people hey what 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 do you want next or what could we do differently what did you learn mm-hmm. that sort of thing um, exactly. but yes and andy thank you for the reminder today i was grading papers <laughs> i almost <laughs> forgot again so thank you for the reminder and and um yeah, I wonder if there's other rent a chicken I know there's rent a chicken programs. Right. right. But uh rent a chick is that's an interesting one, concept. Yeah, so what are they one, gonna do with these chickens after those all of them come back? Yeah, I, I I didn't go down that route. We just talked about biosecurity to do when they come back. And I know there's a there's a farm in Charleston, South Carolina that's doing it. They've been doing it for eight years. This this farm kind of said, oh, we can do that too, and kind of put it together real quick. And uh, so you know, there's probably others that are doing it around the country, just kind of uh, under the radar, if you will. If you know, we know yeah. of two that are doing it. There's probably more doing it than uh, than just them. So. Uh, yeah, we'll we'll see how it pans out. I'll definitely be following up. I also want to see how many come back or don't come back, rather, or come back dead. Um, not that that's necessarily an no. odd thing. We know people. Yeah. We know people. You know, we know chicks are chicks. We know if someone gets uh, 24 delivered mail order, that over a period of the next six weeks they may lose two, three, four, five of them. We that's just the nature of the beast. We know that. Uh, but so to see if they had 25 or 50 go out how many actually come back. And if it's, yeah. you know, half, then there's obviously an issue. If it's, you know, if out, of, out of 50 they lose five, That you know, I know it's a live animal, folks, but that, that won't concern me as much because mama hen probably loses more than five in nature and then you know, the average person or the person who's in it for the long haul who even has experience and orders 50 may lose more than, than five for whatever reason. So but I, I want to see how many don't come back um, and maybe why. They do have a program similar to this in Alabama that's catching on in other states, and it's called Chick Chain, 4-H Chick Chain, where Mm -hmm. they go and they get um, the kids sign up. They have to take a class. They're required to take a class, um, I think maybe two classes, in their county. And then they're given 25 chickens. At the end of the summer they mm-hmm. have to come back to their county or it might be a two counties next to each other combined event and they have to um 
enter, I think, four of the 25 birds, and um, and then they're, they're auctioned off. I don't remember how many are auctioned off or where they go, but um, the rest of the birds they get to keep. And it's a really mm-hmm. great program because the, learns, the kids learn how to raise chickens, and they get to keep a large number of them. And even when it doesn't work well, um, there are still benefits. After they get their chickens, they do actually have to have their 4-H agent or county agent come to the flock and tell them what they're doing right and wrong, changes they have to make um, to make sure that you know the birds are, are living in good conditions. And, you know, they they get immense amounts of feedback. So what what I understand is even families that that don't do well with the program still get benefit from it. I heard an example last year of a family that um, didn't complete the project because their family fell on hard times and really the only food they had were the chickens. So instead of taking, you know, four chickens at the end to a competition, the family was relying on the birds as their sole food source. So, you know, but still they were learning about the process and and, um, the level of gratefulness uh, was certainly there. But, you know, that's certainly the exception, not the rule. But, you know, so there are programs slightly similar, but, yeah, the education component really is key because you don't want... Um, animal organizations to turn on you for any reason, give them, um, give you any reason to to be uh, sued or approached or harassed. Or um, everyone wants us to be a good, positive experience, and I know their intentions mm-hmm. have got to be, have got to be amongst the best. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm Andy. I, I'm sure you want me to get started on what I joined you today to talk about, which is bantam chickens. Yes, ma'am. Um, so I know we were going to talk about this, and I came down with the flu, and then I just plum forgot last time. But um, one of the things that I get inquiries about is um, whether people should get bantam chickens. And this is something that, that I kind of tackled a little bit in the magazine article, wh- whether people should get bantam chickens. Well, you know, you have to make some adjustments for height, uh, with the rest of your flock, and so it might be worth your while to set up an entirely separate coop for your bantams because their needs are a little bit different. But they are fantastic birds for children. If you've got children who are just getting started raising chickens um, and you don't mind that there might be an, a complete lack of eggs or a lack of any eggs of sufficient size for your eating needs, Bantam chickens might be right up your alley. They're usually about a fifth, a quarter to a fifth the size of their large fowl counterparts. Um, They eat less, obviously. Don't count on them for eggs, though. Um, Any rules that exist for eggshell color for the large fowl all fly out the window when it comes to bantam chickens. Because to get these bantam chickens to be so small breeders, kind of let something slide with eggshell color. So what may be true for you may not be true for somebody in another state or another flock with regard to their bantam chickens and their eggshell color. 
So one of the first breeds I always recommend to 4-H members is the game bantams in the American Poultry Association. So I'm talking specifically about modern games and old English games. Um, The males can be a little bit touchy with the old English games. They're fighting cock stock. So they they are fearless little male chickens. But again, they're little. The hens, however, are absolute sweetheart darlings. I don't know hardly a one that has ever turned out to be just a a vicious, mean thing. Doesn't mean it can't happen. But they're a great size. The modern games, too. They're smaller birds. The kids can walk around with them. It's not going to tax their arm muscles, therefore causing them to drop the chickens. If these little chickens flap, it's not likely to, unless it's well-placed, to hit them in the face and cause them any damage um, it may still startle them. But then again, it's a little chicken. If they're going to get flapped in the face, it's not likely that it's going to to leave a mark and, and surprise the child to the same degree as if it's a large bird. Um, there are lots and lots and lots of varieties of these two breeds. I think there's over a dozen varieties of modern games and maybe more than 15 or so for the Old English games, with more coming and going over the years. Uh, I I just, I like them for kids as a great starter chicken. They're quiet for the most part. Uh, And, you know, however, if you've got a, a young child that is a little rough with the birds, hmm, these being such light-bodied birds may not do as well as some of the other bantam breeds. So, yes, they're light-bodied, they're delicate, um, but not too delicate, but they're great starter bird. Some some varieties that people find very easily for the modern games are, are birchen, black-breasted red, and brown red. Same for uh, for the old English game. Probably black-breasted red and red pile are amongst uh, the easiest to find. Of course, the males look very different from the females, oftentimes. I know some people who prefer the females because their color pattern is much more um, delicate, like, say, a golden duckwing female. She's got a nice little salmon-colored breast whereas the male has got more um, white or cream on him. So make sure you take the time to look at the the colors of the males and the females if you're trying to decide on getting a female. They, um, they can be significantly different in coloration than the males. Um, there are some varieties that are just incredibly difficult to find, and so don't fall in love with it until you're sure you can get your hands on it. So like say a Spangled Old English Game. I only knew one person in all my years who ever raised Spangled Old English Game. And I'm pretty sure they don't have them anymore. Um, my best friend raised Creole. Yeah, there were a few Creole, uh, which is, you know, a striped bird. But kind of hard to find uh, in comparison to some of the more popular color varieties out there. So just about every breed of large fowl has a bantam counterpart. So it can be 
it can be and and it depends on on what region of the country you're in as to whether you may f- successfully locate certain breeds or not. Um, like here in the Mid-Atlantic, we've got a show coming up the weekend after Easter, the um, Delmarva Poultry Fancier Show. That's a great time to go see what's around. Plus, we're having an ABA semi-annual, which we should have over a 1,000 birds there in attendance, so lots to look at. There's Shows often have sales areas. You can take a look, and maybe you just want to get uh, your grandchild or a nephew a small chicken to get them started. Sometimes they sell single birds. Sometimes they sell pairs of birds. Sometimes they sell trios of birds. So you have to go through the sales area at a chicken show and look and see what's available and if they're willing to break up a pair or a trio if you just want one bird. Um, A lot of people don't like breaking up trios. They certainly don't want to break up pairs. But you might be able to find single birds, um, hens, that will suit your needs. Um, So, in the American Poultry Association, they break up the classes of bantams based upon whether or not they have feathers on the legs or not, and the type of comb they have. So there's three classes that have no feathers on the leg, which is clean-legged, and then they've got different kinds of combs. So you've got single comb, rose comb, and all other comb. So there's all other comb clean-legged, rose comb clean-legged, and single comb clean-legged. So it's not based upon geographic region. It's based upon the kind of um, the kind of uh, feathers and comb it's got. One of the breeds that I like to recommend to people uh, quite often is the Dutch. It looks exactly, almost exactly like the Old English game, except for the male birds don't have to have their their comb cut or dubbed. And that's why a lot of people like Dutches. Same light body weight as the Old English came. Great birds to work with. Um, um, a lot of people also like frizzles. They come in, in bantam sizes as well as large fowls. Uh, even Jersey Giants come in a bantam form. So I don't know if you can really call them Jersey Giants anymore, but they are Jersey Giants. Uh, Leghorns around here are quite popular because we have a a really well-esteemed breeder in Delaware, actually just a a little bit north of us by about 15 minutes. He sells white leghorns, and they are just stunning, stunning birds. Uh, Orpingtons something that is very popular with the large fowl crowd, is also available in bantams. Uh, Again, Plymouth Rocks, they come in bantam sizes as well. And barred Plymouth Rocks, white, black, there's even partridge and silver penciled. And if you've never seen a silver penciled, Boy, are you in for a surprise. They, those are some delicate, delicate-looking feathers. Rhode Island Reds come in bantam size. Mm-hmm. So, again, everything that comes in large fowl comes in bantams. Sussex, 
Um, things that I would say, let's take a step back from this breed for a moment and see if you're ready for it. Even mm-hmm. though they are just gorgeous birds, they require a little bit more care than your happy-go-lucky birds that you may pick up at the feed store or in a catalog. Japanese. Several things. They have an oversized single comb. They have a squirrel tail. And they have dwarf legs. So it means they carry themselves very close to the ground to the point that they actually sometimes drag their wing feathers on the ground. They can still be really good flyers, though. Don't Just because they're smaller doesn't mean that they aren't fully capable of flying. And again, here on Delmarva, we've got a breeder of Japanese that um, is really quite uh, prolific and well-known. Um, other breeds that I would say, let's take a moment and, and think about this, are the frizzles. Again, any time where you disrupt the normal airflow over a bird's body by curling the feathers means that they could be susceptible to getting cold. And yeah, it's fun to to, to cross just about any breed with a frizzle to see if it frizzles, uh, but that means it's also a bird that you have to take better care of, especially in the winter time. They can't keep the heat on themselves as well, and you just need to really baby them much more than you would with your regular flock. Naked necks, same thing. They come in bantam size. And again, they don't do really well in the super cold. You might have to knit them a little turtleneck. Or actually, in they're thinking about crossing naked necks with broiler chickens in the tropical regions of our planet to see if they do better at dissipating heat. Um Yes, we like to keep our chickens warm, but not so warm that they don't grow so good and can't uh, provide a sufficient food supply. So, you know, they do really well in the warmer regions. For those of you who have hard winters and cold winters, you got to think about your naked necks and how you're going to keep them warm, um, even though you might not be able to do a bit of worrying for the rest of your flock. Uh, Phoenix. Phoenix have really long tails, and the males don't ever molt that main set of sickle feathers. So maintaining your birds, your phoenix birds, in such a manner as they they don't damage their tail feathers is a little challenging. You, um, where these birds were developed, which is Japan, they're called the Japanese long-tailed fowl or the onagadori. They come in large fowl sizes as well, and they're the national bird of Japan. What they do is they, they basically wind the tail up and wrap it in silk, and they hang it on a hook next to the rooster um, when he's in the coop, and they have specially designed coops. And then, of course, you have to unwind that tail and... Actually, you have to walk your rooster every day so he gets exercise. So during World War II, this breed was in serious danger of being wiped out, and it was actually um, you know, saved by some researchers at my old institution, UC Davis, um, through some cryopreservation techniques. So you may want to think about some of these 
these breeds that have a little bit more care to them. Yes, they come in a smaller size. Uh, so think about what you might be able to, to do to accommodate that bird. And, of course, Delawares come in a small size, and I've got to put a little plug out there for my for my state Delaware. Um, you may consider raising Delawares. They're, they're really kind of fun. Um, very hard to find, but I think that they are just beautiful, Andy, are New Hampshire's. Very mm-hmm. hard to find. Gorgeous chestnut um, red color can be just a little bit more aggressive, but finding them in a bantam size, golly, I just always find myself in a jaw-dropping situation when I find a nice nice pair to take a look at. Okay, I figured let's move on to the rose comb clean-legged. Now we start to talk about some of the breeds that only come in the bantam size. Of course, the first true bantam breed was the Seabright, developed by Sir John Seabright. And Seabrights only come in two varieties, golden and silver. So basically, the the center part of the feather changes colors. Um, golden means it's a yellow center with black lacing around each feather. Silver is white with black lacing around each feather. Uh, a lot of people can get really bad Seabrights. It's really easy to pick up a bad pair of Seabrights. I've seen Seabrights enter our fair with single combs. And people are so shocked as to why they get disqualified. They're like, well, uh, when I bought it at the feed store, it said Seabrights. Yeah, well, they're feed store chickens. And, you know, just don't get yourself into a situation where where you, you get yourself disqualified and feeling bad about yourself, have somebody come over and take a look at your chickens before you enter any, any competitions, especially if you bought them at a feed store. Seabrights um, are, are nice. The hens are nice. Uh, the males can be real jerks, though. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm just being honest. Not every single bird's a real jerk, but you know they're that real pugnacious attitude, like... You know, they're going to come at your ankle, and they're like, I'm taking you down. And you're like, no, you're not, bird. Okay. Um, but the females are super sweeties. Um, again, you've got another breed that only comes in bantam. Those are called rose combs. Uh, they're a little bit larger than the Old English, the Dutch, and the Seabrights. But by no means are they any any bit lesser. Black is the most common variety that you're going to find them in. And my friend Catherine Plummer, who's the chicken artist, she breeds those. Actually, she bred a, a, a whole new variety, the one that was for a long time thought to be lost, and that's black-breasted red. I think that's the logo on her website now. Uh, but they're a good breed for for children. The hens are super sweet. The males, the males take everything in stride. It seems like, yeah. So I like them. They have larger tails than than the other breeds. The males do, but you know they're they're pretty good birds to start off with. Uh, another breed that that only comes in the bantam size is the Antwerp Belgian. And that's what a lot of people get really excited about when they see Millie Fleurs. They're like, oh, you've got a Millie Fleur. No, they've got an Antwerp Belgian, and it comes in the Millie Fleur or Million Flower variety. 
they come in other varieties too. Uh, quite often you'll see uh, porcelain, quail um, varieties. Quail is quite common. So uh, keep your eyes open for those breeds and those varieties. Um, they're pretty special. Of course, you can you find a lot of Wyandots, uh, a lot of Rhode Island Reds and Rhode Island Ro- Whites. Both of those come in rose-comb varieties. Uh, and Leghorns. Leghorns also come in rose-combs. Uh, again, larger comb size, uh, simply as the nature of the breed, uh, but you know if you're looking for for a nice breed, uh, you know, go get yourself a little Wyandotte or maybe a Seabright if you've got kids. So the all other comb clean-legged Bantam class has uh, a few breeds in there that are familiar for folks: Americanas, Araucanas. Buckeyes, Chanticleers, Cornish, Crevcours, and then some of the breeds that have crests on their heads, Houdans, Polish, they're all in there. So a, a lot of these breeds, if if they were difficult to manage due to long tails as a large fowl, you're going to probably face the same thing as a Bantam, like say a Yokohama, long tails. Polish. Anything that has a large crest in the way is going to prevent the bird from seeing well and therefore could be predator fodder, which none of us want our birds to be food for the local wildlife. That's not why we we keep chickens usually. Um, Sicilian buttercups are in this category because, again, they have that buttercup comb Buckeyes have a pea comb there in this category, so just all things for folks to consider. And um, I have never seen a bantam chanticleer. That would be fun to see, personally. So let's move on to a category that I'm sure lots of people are wondering why I haven't gotten to this category yet, and that's the feather legged. First thing everybody thinks of seems to be the silkies. Silkies actually are a bantam-only breed. So not only do they have feathers on their legs, they have an extra toe, they've got a crest on their head, sometimes they have a beard, sometimes they don't, depends on which breed you get. There's there's bearded black and non-bearded black. There's bearded white and there's non-bearded white. So you have to, to take a look and, and see what's available. But again... They're really good mothers. Uh, They're sometimes terminally broody, but it might be one of those breeds that you want to keep a hand on the farm as a backup for when the power goes out. Um, uh, One of the things I I just have to insist on is that take good care of your bantams in the wintertime. Sometimes I've heard stories of bantams getting a little chilled, uh, if people have them in with the rest of their flock, uh, they just couldn't stay as warm, and therefore they, they came down with something whilst the rest of the flock couldn't uh, or didn't come down with something, and, and the poor bird just couldn't recover. Um, they also have a crest, so they can't see predators coming. Just keep that in mind. So some other breeds, non, non-crested breeds that we can talk about, very popular, Cochins. And I do recommend Cochins 
both males and females, although they're a little bit heavier, they're great for kids. So are silkies. Silkies are great for kids, too. But cochins, I just think, are are just gorgeous. Again, keeping a feather, feather-legged breed means that you have to he- always have them on clean shavings, always have them on deep, deep shavings so that they don't break their feathers. And if you've got a young person who's learning how to take care of the birds responsibly, this would definitely provide you with a um, an early warning system. If you see uh, feathers that are starting to snap off or be stained on the feet, then you know that your young person needs to up their game when it comes to to cleaning the coop and taking good care of, of um, the depth of the shavings. Brahmas. Buff Brahmas are very popular with young people. Buff and light Brahmas are easiest to find, but Buff Brahmas, for some reason, are much more popular than even the light Brahmas. Um, Very good with children. Again, about the same, almost the same body size as the Cochin, so a little bit larger, but a great breed for kids, and I like them a lot. In showmanship, if you're in 4-H showmanship, we don't recommend that uh, 4-H poultry showmanship that you use a crested or feather-legged breed. Again, because they they sometimes don't want to walk or it's difficult for them to walk. But um, I've seen a great many young people do really well with Brahmas in showmanship. Not quite as much with Cochins, but yes, with Brahmas. Um a breed with a uh, with a lot of people may not be familiar with is the booted bantam. Again, this is one that comes in the Millie Fleur and Porcelain varieties. So booteds can be split up in a couple different ways, not only by feather pattern, but whether or not they have a beard. So you've got non-bearded Millie Fleurs. You also have bearded Millie Fleurs, non-bearded Porcelain and bearded porcelain. These are all varieties of booted bantams. Very popular with kids. They're slightly smaller body size, but again, uh, children, if if they're willing to take on one of these projects, it's a good size. Maybe for not the smallest of, of young people, but the next age up before they start to hit the teens and tweens in age. Um... Again, frizzles come in feather-legged, too. Um, Langshans, I've seen more and more Langshans pop up at poultry shows in the bantam size. Um, I haven't seen young people with them, but I'm definitely seeing more and more adults with Langshans in the black, white, and blue color varieties of feathers. Sultans and Favrols also come in, um, you know, bantam size with Sultans. Uh, again, you're dealing with a crest uh, and a white bird, so keeping them clean, not always the easiest for kids as a starter bird is starting with a white bird. Um, but by no means are silkies um, out of the question for you. Um, I wasn't going to talk about this initially, but then after having a conversation with one of my friends, they're like, you're going to talk about bantam ducks, right? And I'm like, well, I wasn't gonna, but okay. So come in a bantam size as well. Um, Actually, 
The mallard duck is a bantam duck size. Uh, but the one that most everybody sees at shows and, and hears at shows first is the call duck. Um, they're small. They're easy to work with, but you better have some of the awesomest neighbors ever that put up with a duck that is going to call and call and call and call and call, especially at feeding time. They're going to remind you about an hour ahead. Remember, you have to feed us in an hour. Another duck breed is the East India. It's a little um, a black-colored duck and a lot of fun to work with. But white calls are pretty pretty great for kids. Again, for 4-H showmanship, I don't recommend using ducks. Um, but if you were going to use a duck, I'd, I'd use a small one that's easier to work with. But if you're going to use a duck for 4-H showmanship, you better be a pro. You better be... You know, having looked at this for many years. Um, but yes, duck breeds do come in bantam. No, there are no bantam goose or guinea fowl breeds or turkey breeds. Sorry, doesn't happen. But, um, you know, th- those are some of the breeds and things that you need to consider. I really do like to promote um, the old English game and the modern game, just because those hens are so light-bodied and easy for the really young kids to to get started with, um, as well as the rose combs for young people to get started with. The rose combs, the Dutch, the silkies, and the games. <clears throat> so those are the ones that are super easy for kids to handle, usually have a great attitude, and, um, you know, if they want to move on to something else after they've been with their first breed for a few years, great. Maybe they will, you know, choose a large fowl breed or another bantam breed, but it's a good starter bird that's not likely to hurt hurt the really young young ones that are, you know, four, five, six, or even seven or eight years old. So some things for your listeners to consider as they are hunting and pecking through the catalogs or getting ready to go to the local show. Um, Just want to uh, check to see if anybody's got good questions. Um, Oh, yep, Love for Poultry likes silkies. I don't believe them. Um, They're very popular, and the kids seem to like them to pieces. Um, but a lot of people need to put thermometers in their coops with their silkies to make sure that they are at least realizing what the temperatures are getting down to for those birds. And um, I don't see silkies lasting as long as some silkies lasting as long as some of the large fowl breeds, and it's because they're getting chilled in the coop, and people just aren't providing them with sufficient amounts of heat to make it through those super cold winters that we can have in parts of the country. Did any questions pop into your mind, Andy? No questions. Um, I've had my share of uh, bantam breeds and uh, have enjoyed them. We always kept them separate from our other large fowl, and, uh, but we've, we've had uh, got a lot of different ones, especially when we we're getting people started just to share with them what they look like, what they can expect, and different things like that. So uh, we've, we've had our share of silkies and cochins and uh, saramas and just you know, anything, which are small, even tinier. 
But um, but yeah, we've we've had our share of uh, phantom breeds, and I actually just and I didn't forget to that. talk about the Saramas and the Namkins. I can't believe I did that, but yes, those two <laughs> other small breeds that I forgot to mention. It is really hard to find a Namkin, and if you find them, you need to tell other people where they can find them because again, small light-bodied bird. The hens are sweet. Um, Saramas have a more um, pugnacious presence, but the males tend to be just sweethearts. Although they're going to look like they're going to take on the world, but when you go to handle them, they're like, oh, okay, fine, whatever. Um, and we've got some Sarama breeders here, and um, yeah, they put on a good show. We've got Sarama breeders here uh, in the Delmarva Poultry Fanciers Club, and they do a good job with a tabletop show at our our show every year. Um, uh, beautiful birds. Um, there's a couple of different associations for Sarama breeders. So before you pick up your first Sarama, make sure you decide what camp you're in um, because I think that uh, there's two very distinct groups and how they like to do things are are somewhat different from one another. Make sure you do your homework. Cool beans. Alrighty, yeah, it's another very, very popular, especially on the show scene, and um, a lot of people have them. They'll incorporate them with uh, other breeds as well, so they're they're truly very popular. So it makes sense to have this as a topic for the uh, show, especially as people are going out and picking breeds they want because uh, it is the season to do so. So thank you very much, Dr. McCray, for coming on. We appreciate it. We finally got. Bantam breeds out of the way. <laughs> After a couple of tries, we uh, we finally did it. So uh, we look forward to seeing you back here on, let's see, April the 7th. I think it will be the first yeah. Thursday in April. So we'll look forward to seeing you there. We'll have another great topic with Dr. McRae. Thank you very much for joining us. Always great to have you on. Thanks, Andy. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Since 1921, Stromberg's has been a family-owned and operated business providing quality poultry and poultry supplies to their customers. Today, the Stromberg's family offers over 200 different breeds of poultry, including chickens, waterfowl, and game birds. They also offer poultry supplies for both the beginner and experienced poultry keeper. Stromberg should be on the top of your list when it's time to order your new day-old baby chicks and poultry supplies. Order online today at StrombergsChickens.com. That's StrombergsChickens.com. Are you in the market for a new chicken coop? Want one that will outlast all the others? Then look no further than Urban Coop Company. All of their coops are made from appearance-grade western red cedar right here in the USA. Urban Coop Company coops are designed to be both beautiful and functional. I invite you to visit their website to learn about the many features of their coops and check out their integrated coop accessories that will make your life easier. They're passionate about building great coops because they know you're passionate about your backyard chickens. Visit their website at urbancoopcompany.com. That's urbancoopcompany.com. Do you provide a heat source for your backyard chickens in the winter? In most cases, it's not necessary. But if you choose to provide a heat source for your backyard chickens, it's imperative to use a safe and effective heat source, and the only one I recommend is the Sweeter Heater. The Sweeter Heater is a safe, completely sealed, washable, 
non-breakable, energy-efficient, long-lasting and reliable specific area heater that comes with a three-year warranty. Ditch the dangerous heat lamp this season and invest in the only heater I recommend, the Sweeter Heater. Purchase the Sweeter Heater online at SweeterHeater.com. That's SweeterHeater.com. Hey, it's the Chicken Whisperer. If you're in the market for a new incubator, then look no further than GQF. They have a great selection of tabletop and cabinet-style incubators at prices you can afford. I love my GQF Genesis Model 1588. It has a large picture window and an automatic thermostat, which makes for a better hatch every time. Go pick out your new incubator at GQFRadio.com. That's GQFRadio.com. Want to protect your hens from the damage caused by an overly affectionate rooster? Nothing protects hens better than the Hen Saver Hen Apron. Hen Saver Hen Aprons come in several different sizes to fit both bantam and large fowl hens. They also come in several different styles and colors. Give your hens the protection they deserve by purchasing Hen Saver Hen Aprons today. 100% of all proceeds goes to provide care to rescued animals at Crazy K Farm in Hempstead, Texas. Purchase your Hen Saver Hen Aprons at Hensaver.com. That's Hensaver.com. From our family to yours, feed your chickens the way nature intended. Pure, wholesome goodness. Kalmbach Feeds. Visit our website at kalmbachfeeds.com. That's K-A-L-M-B-A-C-H feeds.com. Or order today on Amazon.com. Kalmbach Feeds is a proud sponsor of the Chicken Whisperer. Alrighty, thank you very much for tuning in today. We do appreciate it. I wasn't able to get the chat room open on uh, my laptop, so uh, if you were asking any questions in there, I wasn't ignoring you. I just couldn't see it. I apparently opened it up, but uh, I had uh, wiped and rebooted my computer earlier in the week and haven't downloaded Flash, so um, it was not opening. And then for me to do that, I had to reboot everything, and I'm not going to do that while I'm on the air. So uh, I wasn't ignoring you in the chat room. If there were any questions directed to me or uh, Dr. McRae. I could see nothing. (laughs) could see nothing in there. So hopefully by the next show we'll have it back up and running, at least where I can see and communicate and say howdy and uh, all the above. So thanks for uh, chatting in the chat room. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, We'll be here this Thursday. Yep, this coming Thursday, two days from right now, 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, we're going to welcome Peter Brown, also known as the Chicken Doctor. That's this Thursday, 2 p.m right here on Blog Talk Radio. So uh, I'll keep you up to date on the issue with the Renichick and the updates and the uh, um, follow-ups with that. I think it's very interesting. I'm, I'm glad I reached out to them um, because, yeah, without a doubt, probably without saying, the uh, program did needed uh, some uh, uh, some tweaks and uh, some upgrades to it to ensure several things. Again, my three hats, the animal welfare um, upgrades, the biosecurity upgrades, and, of course, um, the salmonella and health risk for the humans uh, upgrades in their uh, program. And so hopefully next year they'll have more time to uh, implement more. What's the word I'm looking for? Um, Employ more safety measures, awareness, education, 
and that sort of thing. So uh, we'll be working with him and sharing with you uh, what all we do with him. So uh, thank you very much for tuning in. We'll see you this Thursday, 2 p.m. Eastern, with uh, Ask the Chicken Doctor. Until then, God bless everybody. Uh-huh.